Well, good morning. I was, uh, as all of us are amazed at the set, and I've had opportunity to see it kind of incrementally put together, and then the, they must have been here till wee hours in the morning uh, finishing up uh, what they've done. And so uh, we're really looking forward to a great time of, of teaching children and exposing children to the great message of Christ through all kinds of means and avenues, and so you want to be praying for that throughout the week. Also, as I was thinking about getting up here next week, it, as we mentioned, it's going to be Picnic Sunday, it's going to be a celebration of what ministry had happened all over the week. We're inviting families who have come with their children or brought their children to VBS to be with us in the park behind us. Encourage you to invite your friends to come as well. Uh, and also, just to give you a clue, next Sunday, I guess I could have done a two-week series. Uh, I'm going to do a review of all, well, not all that is taught on that Sunday, but we're going to look at what we were trying to share with the students and the children and the leaders this week. And I also, not that I'm really big on scripture memory, but, um, I, you know, I want to give you all a challenge. Uh, you can do it as well. There's an opportunity. I, I put some sheets back there. There's seven verses. I have to admit, two of them are long. And if I was being really gracious, I'd say you can skip the long ones, though I, that's extra credit. I'd encourage you to do that as well. But at least three or four of them you can memorize this week very easily. And so that'll kind of give you a uh, step up to what we're going to be talking about uh, next Lord's Day. So I encourage you to uh, just be ready for that. Um, also, as I was thinking about that, we're going to be starting a new series today uh, in the book of Galatians, Set Free to Be Free. And we're starting a new class next Sunday, really open to, to people maybe who've never decided, uh, particularly in this hour, to stay an extra hour. Uh, John, uh, and actually I think Pam's going to be helping him out, which is going to make that class so much better. Uh, But uh, John and Pam are going to be doing a a class next Sunday, uh, improving on the messages that I preach on Sunday. So it'll be about the book of Galatians. They're going to look at some things. And and really Galatians, as I'll be sharing today, is one of those life-changing books. And I don't just say that about Galatians because every book in the Bible is life-changing, but particularly how God has used that particular book down through uh, the history of, of the New Testament church uh, in ways that really make a difference if we apply its truth. So I want to be encouraging you to do that. Also, uh, I'm not just delaying, but I'm, I'm just kind of helping you rest a little bit before I just like fire at you in so many different ways this morning. But as we, as we look at uh, opportunities, uh, oh, by the way, uh, some of you, I don't need to tell you this, but it's casual dress next Sunday. So you can, uh, you can be really casual because we'll be going right over uh, to the park afterwards and encourage you to connect with that after you all go to that new class that we're, that we're starting uh, next week. Um, also, uh, just, uh, just to urge you uh, or just encourage you to be praying for uh, Matt and some of the youth that are coming back from their mission uh, to um, Utah as they had an opportunity to just share the, the message of Christ uh, to people that particularly are slanted toward uh, Mormonism and uh, they, they're able to give the good hope to them and it's been a life-changing thing, but ask for safe travels as they, as they come back as well. Also, encourage you, if you're not already studying the book of Ezra, that's what that other insert in there is all about, and encourage you to, to um, just dive into the book of Ezra as God uses the Word of God to change people's lives in there as well, and pray for Barry Mackey, uh, his ministry in the Philippines. Some of us had an opportunity to work with him when we went over on a mission trip, and uh, he's got a great heart, a great family, and just going into the schools to reach people for Christ. And one other thing, I just want to share this. I've tried to emphasize this a little bit, but there's a suggested prayer. Most of us, as we think about a biblical prayer, think about the Lord's Prayer. But there are other great prayers in the Bible as well. And we try to give a different one each week. We go on a cycle on that. But I want to read that prayer because it really 
is a prayer we could pray for every leader and every child and every person who knows Jesus, uh, that they would really experience that in a profound way. And if uh, you haven't got your Bibles out, get your Bibles out and turn to the book of Galatians. And right after the book of Galatians, the book of Ephesians, I want to read one of the prayers the Apostle Paul uh, had for God's people. And he said this, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks to you in my prayers. So Paul was always filled with thanksgiving as he prayed for God's people. And then here, were, here was his petitions, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. At the heart of the Apostle Paul, uh, more than some of the physical challenges we encounter, he says, I, I pray that you might just enlarge, uh, enlarge the heart and the mind of God's people, that they might experience God's wisdom and their knowledge of God might grow. And then he says this, verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what, it, what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. You know, you know taking that picture, I, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be open. And normally we don't think of that, that muscle in our, in our chest having eyes, but he, he's really talking about the heart being the center of who you are, that you might really see all that God has for you. And that's what we're hoping, and that's why much of VBS is so visual, because we, we want through the eye gate to help them see what is really true about God, that he's, a, he's, a, he's just an awesome God, and he has a plan for their life. And then, he, then the application of that, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe, of the strength of his might to which we have been brought about in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead? So we want to experience not only the wisdom that God can give, the knowledge of him that he can give, and also the power he can give us as we lean upon him. So that is a long introduction. Let's uh, look to the Lord in prayer one more time. Let's pray together. Father, I pray as we just begin today and just kind of an introduction, but also an examination of, of your written truth for us, that even if we have just read a prayer, might... We desire that be true of our hearts, that our hearts might be enlightened and that we might see what you have for us, that we might see what it means to know you and then to live it out. And Father, I just really pray as we begin that today and then as we have opportunity to share that message throughout the week, that you might use that in powerful lives to everyone who, are, who encounter the truth about who you are. Uh, thank you for your plan for our life and help us just to be fully satisfied, not in the things of this world, but in you. And we praise in Christ's name. Amen. So this morning, is, uh, I've got a number of things in your outline, and we, we might not touch everything, but I, I wanted to kind of give an overview of what this book is all about, as well as dive into the text a little bit. And I've uh, entitled the message, Set Free to Be Free. And, and the book of Galatians, as I mentioned to you, was really used in a powerful way as, as God reformed the church. And in reality, God is always reforming the church or revitalizing the church or bringing revival to the church because we have a, we have a tendency to, to be how the Bible describes his followers. We're, we're, we're kind of like sheep, and sheep have a tendency to go, what, astray. And, and so and as we think about his word, which is recorded for us, it is a, a way to bring us back to what we're, where we need to be. And in the period of what's called the Reformation, God brought a slew of people back to the, the essentials of what it means to, 
to know Christ, to follow him, and to, to grow in that faith and be used in him to touch lives. And some have called this the Magna Carta of the New Testament or the Declaration of Independence. It's, it's a bringing back to renewal of God's people. And, and for others, it's, it's bringing back to, to really encounter the true Christ, not the false Christ that is so often presented to people. And, and so that's what we're going to be looking at. And really, if we understand what that is, it's, it's, it's the setting of, uh, of people free who come to know him. Now, a familiar passage in Scripture, and I put it in your outline this morning, in John chapter 8, that Jesus, as he was speaking to people who are very religious, and the Jewish people were very religious, and, and many today still are, and in other world religion and cults, and we're going to be seeing that in one of the series and what we call our GHI, Grace Hills Institute, as Bill leads that, is people can be very religious and still miss it. Because fundamentally, what God is calling us into is relationship. Now, there's nothing wrong with the word religion or being religious. It really kind of speaks of doing things habitually and in and, and very um, disciplined way to follow after what you think is really important. But if you're going down the wrong path, it doesn't matter what often happens when I travel. Is, uh, you, you, do you know where you're going? No, but I'm making good time. You know? <laughs> you know, it, it, you're not always sure exactly where you're headed, but it, if you don't know where you're headed, the, the likelihood you might not get there. And some people are very, you know, zealous in, in what they believe, but what they're believing is not true. And so, so Paul is, is given that challenge to say, look at, though the church is at its infant stage, it's a baby stage, already it's going in different directions. And he says, look, what, you have, you, what you've exchanged is the freedom that God wants to give you, and you're, you're now in bondage because you're believing what's not true. And you're falling after what is not true. And in John chapter 8, verses 31 through 32, he was saying in this in preparation for people to fully understand why he came and what he came for. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, he said this, If you continue in my word, um, so easy to want to preach on every phrase you read in God's word. What he was saying here is not that you have to continue in your word to be a believer, but continue in, in the word will show that you are, truly are a believer. It's not something you earn. If you, if you continue a lot, that means you're my believer. And if you don't continue a lot, that means you're not my believer. But if you really want to make an objective evaluation, are you a true follower of me, that will be the pattern in your life. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, which you could say the opposite. If you're not doing that, then you're false disciples of Jesus. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you or set you what? free. One of the ways that we know that we're followers of Christ is that we take the message of Christ and we realize this, this, is, this, is, this is awesome, where, where I felt overwhelmed by what I should do or not do, and how do I measure up to God's standard, and realizing when I come to know Jesus, he sets me free from being on that performance challenge, you know, like the hamster on the proverbial wheel. It's, it's going around and around and around and around, but it's not what? It's not getting anywhere. But when you really come to know Christ and what he does for you, you are set free. In the same statement, a little few verses down in, in John chapter 8, verse 36, he says this. So if the Son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. N not just in verbiage, but in reality. And so God has come to set us free to, to not just be what we want to be, because that's bondage, but to be what he wants us to be. And as we go through this, this little book, we're going to see how that's supposed to be lived out. 
But as we do this, I thought, well, how do I begin this, this particular series? Well, one, I thought I'd do it this way, and it also has a, a sub-application to it, is as we think about getting God's Word, how, how do you really get something out of this written material that was written, you know, 2,000 years ago, and we have a variety of translations that make it a little bit easier to understand than it would have been if we just stayed back in some of the older translations. But even if we read words that we understand, uh, what do they really mean? What's the point? Well, anytime you read something, after you read it, you go, what did I just read? You got to slow down a little bit, right? And then what you need to do is ask questions of what you've just read. And so what we're going to do to begin with the book of Galatians, we're going to begin where Paul began, which is as he introduced this book, but we're really going to try to see it for the, through the lens or open up the window to see it this way, that if you were to ask questions of the, this little book that changed history, there's only so many questions you can ask. In fact, there's only six questions if I counted right, one, two, three, four, five, six. It's who, what, when, where, why, and how. And that's really what we want to unpack whenever we read God's Word, and particularly as we read this powerful letter that really is given us that we might be set free. And it's really to unravel some things that maybe we can sometimes be confused about. And in fact, just to begin, I was reading some things that talked about things to think about. And here's something to think about. Every time you clean something, have you ever understood this? You just made something else dirty. Isn't that true? Some of you aren't that impressed with that statement. But anyway, um, <laughs> um, how about this? Intentionally losing a game of rock, paper, and scissors is just as hard as trying to win. Think about that for a moment. I'm going I'm to I'm give, give this victory to somebody else. Well, how do, how, do you, how do you figure that out? But actually, the reason I read this is because of this. Uh, taking some of the three of the questions you can ask of of the six questions that you can only ask of anything you read or think about. Did you know this? If you replace the W with T in what, where, and when, you get the answers to each of them. You ever heard that before? For instance, what. If you replace the W with T, it's that. If you replace the W in where, it's there. And if you replace the W in when, you get then. You're not that impressed with that either. So anyway, so as you think about it, there, there are things in life where we think, well, how complicated is it? Well, what, what's, the, what's, the, what's the what? It's the that. You know, what's the where? It's the there. What's, what's the when? It's then. And, and sometimes we make reading the Bible much harder than it is because we just don't simply try to look at it and say, well, what, what are some of the things right even on the surface that will help us open up the windows to see what it's all about? So if we think about Galatians, let's do that as we begin. Galatians uh, chapter 1, beginning with verse 1, it's always good to begin at the beginning. So let's just begin at the beginning and just do what, what they did back then when they got this letter sent to them. And uh, the letters in the New Testament are helpful in that you don't have to, you don't have to you know, go to the end. Anybody ever read the, la- the last chapter of the book, you know, halfway through because you just want to get to the beginning? Jim's raising his hand. Well, you don't have to go to the back of the book to figure out who, who wrote because often they would say right in the beginning. So as we look at this book, let's begin with who. And really implied in that is who wrote this book. Galatians chapter 1 verse 1 says this, Paul, an apostle not sent from men nor through the mercy, through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. Now, for some, I'm going to belabor this, like those 
little things I gave you already to think about, and you weren't that impressed about the think about things. But I, I want you to think a little bit about why some of these things are important. Why is it important to recognize as we read God's Word, you know, who wrote it? And part of what I want you to understand is we think about whether it's the Old Testament or New Testament, when you, when you pick an author that, that maybe is written in the text or history, extra-biblical uh, records give us evidence as far as who wrote it, you, you might ask, well, you know, who wrote the book of Romans? Who wrote, wrote the book of uh, Galatians? Who wrote the book of Colossians? Who wrote the book of Ephesians? Who, you know, all the different letters, 13 letters I think Paul wrote. And, and you say, well, who wrote those? Well, well, Paul wrote them. Well, that's a partial answer. Because not only did Paul write them, but who else wrote them? God did. Because the Bible says, in fact, Paul recorded this, all Scripture, all the writings that we read about is authoritative, all Scripture is inspired by God. So it wasn't just Paul writing, it was the Holy Spirit guiding him in every which way to record the things he wanted us to be able to read and then apply to our life. But part of that is, uh, we want to understand, though, is when we think about that, well, why would we believe that Paul would be qualified to be inspired by God to write Scripture, or some say to write Bible? And and let me just confess right up front, I'm not qualified, all right? And and I've told you many times before, when you take what I say or try to interpret or explain out of the text, that's great, but what you need to do is say, well, was Mike really explaining it? accurately or clearly, or was that just his own thoughts? And really, the only time I'm inspired is when I'm reading the text. You understand what I'm saying? Because that's God breathed. Now, God illumines the Scripture, which is a different word, which means He gives us understanding of it. But as far as authoritatively, it's only what's in here. This is what, this is what guides us. Not, not, just, not the pastor or the elders. We have responsibility to do that, but it's the Word of God. It's authoritative. Now, as we think about this, and I'm belaboring this, but why should we, and Paul's going to be hitting them with a two-by-four about things that they weren't doing and weren't believing and living out. And, and you ever thought about that sometimes when someone says to you what you don't want to hear? Well, <laughs> who, who died and put you in charge, right? Who died and made you God? Well, Jesus died, but he was made God because you rose from the dead, right? Well, what gave Paul that authority? Well, he was an apostle, now, in the Greek language, they really didn't use the capital letters, right? And so, you know, and sometimes you might, in some texts, they'll, they'll have some apostles with a capital A. Often it begins the sentence, but sometimes later on. But the Apostle Paul was, was, was an apostle, in a sense, with a capital A. There were only 12 picked, and one got booted out because he was unfaithful. Uh, and, and then we know in Acts chapter 1, they, they, want, they chose another one. And so they had 12 authoritative men that were used of God in the foundation of the church. And in Ephesians 2.20, it says the, the, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles. But Paul was also one of those who had the right to be authoritative because he was a sent one. That's what the word apostle means, a sent one uniquely from God. And he said, when I come to you, I want you to understand that I'm not coming through the agency of man. It wasn't somebody else who just said, well, Paul, you go straighten them out. But God had sent them to straighten them out. And who is this God? He's Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And so as we come to this book, and this is one thing to think about. Some people, did anybody, any of you have colored letters in any parts of your Bible? You know, sometimes in the gospel, the words of Jesus are put in what? They're put in red. And some people say, well, you know, the words of Jesus are much more important than the other words in the Bible. 
you know, I don't mind him putting them red, but the Bible says all Scripture is inspired by God. And, and, and some are, are, are placed in ways to tell you what not to do or, or what example to follow or not follow, but every word, every letter that God has brought into those texts is authoritative for us. And the reason, because the authority comes from the same person, the reason Paul could write authoritatively about what it means to be set free and then live a life of freedom is because he had been sent from God. His authority came from God. Got it? All right. So that's the who. Where's the where? And again, these are just pretty straightforward things, but this is how we study the Bible. You ask questions of the Bible. Well, who's speaking? The Apostle Paul. Where where was he speaking to? Um, It says in verse 2, after he says, you know, Paul, I'm Paul, an apostle, he says, and all the brethren who are with me, so he was, he had a team with him, to the churches of Galatia. And and we're not going to spend, you know, the whole time on some of these uh, specific points, but there's a big debate, you know, where were the churches in Galatia? They was right into the southern part or the northern part. And if you want to write, if you, if you do read commentaries or people write to comment on this, there are pages and pages and pages about, it's kind of like South, it's kind of like L.A. Do you want L.A. proper or do you want the county of L.A.? And, you know, where was he writing to and things like this. But what I want to point out here is, is we think often when we study the Bible that the, the Bible was written, after it was written, it was written to who? It was written to us, right? But sometimes we make it personally so it's written to me. And that is true. But when we need to understand that often when God wrote through inspired prophets or apostles, he didn't just write to individuals, he wrote to groups of individuals. And what you have here, he wrote to the churches in Galatia. And it's, it's really cementing the whole truth that is that we do life better together. That God has called us not to be lone rangers as we follow Jesus Christ because we can't live out our life with Christ alone. There's no way to do one another unless there's, a, there's another, right? There's no way to take the verse that you all have memorized because it's so easy. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another, right? Well, you can't, you can't, you can't apply that verse unless there's another, right? I'm really good at loving people I never see. Anybody want to raise their hand? Man, man, I, I don't have any problem with people I, I'm never around. And he said, beloved, if, if God still loved you, loved you, and you don't always deserve love, but, but if he loved you and you don't deserve it, maybe you ought to go the extra mile and love other people. And even people you do love, you know, sometimes you don't want to love them because you're just tired or you're just put out or whatever it might be, or you're having a pity party. And he said, look at God loves you all the time, so you ought to love one another. So he writes to the churches, and I think in southern Galatia, I won't tell you why I believe that, uh, but basically it's modern Turkey. But I think the point here is I want to say that he writes not only to us personally, but he writes to us collectively. We're doing this together, right? And, and we're only as good as our weakest link in terms of our, our, our following after Jesus Christ because we need to help those in need. So who and where? And then what about the when? And it's, it's not really clear. Uh, again, I would probably read this to the churches of Galatia. And I'm not going to give you the reasons behind all this. I, I put a reference there in Acts chapter 14. As Paul did ministry, and Paul and Barnabas went out first, and in Acts 13 it says that, that the church came together and set apart two godly men, Saul, who was evolving into Paul, evolving in the right sense, 
and that God was transferring him spiritually into what he was and to who he is, which is the one who would represent him authoritatively to churches. They went on mission trips. They went on three mission trips. And as they look back at this, they're trying to figure out, well, when did Paul write this? And, and it ranges between, some say 49, which is what I, do, what I think it is. Uh, some say a little bit long, later, 53, 54. Was it on the first missionary journey or the third missionary journey? It's not that critical other than because no matter which one you take, this is the point I want to make, is that it was written at, uh, around 49 AD is what I would call it. And I believe because of that, it's the first epistle written. Of all the things he wrote, wrote 13 letters, many think this is the first time he ever penned anything authoritatively to speak to God's people collectively. And it's also interesting enough, it wasn't just written to one church, it was written to many churches. And the point I want to make here is that spiritual challenges happen fast. And the reason I'm sharing that is sometimes, I don't know if this is how you relate to what goes on in your life or doesn't go on in your life, but sometimes you wonder, well, God, why, why are you allowing this to happen? Why am I struggling with this now? Or, you know, give me a break. I mean, I, I need some space in between trials or challenges. And if it's not your trials or challenges, it might be someone else you care about, right? But we've all been there. And I just want to say that that has always been the case. And here it was, it was a spiritual challenge. Because all of a sudden, they heard the good news, they've been set free, and then some other people came alongside it, and they wanted to mess with them. And I'm sure they started pretty creatively, because basically what they were doing, they were saying, I, I, I know you've heard this from Paul, and Paul's a good guy, all right? He's been used of God, and he gave you, he gave you what you needed to get to first base, but we're going to tell you how to get home. And what they were doing is they were adding to what Paul had taught. And it wasn't they were giving out more information. They were, they were giving out wrong information. In fact, we have that in what's called false, false news, right? Or fake news. Thanks for correcting me, uh, Patsy. Just don't ever do it again. All right. So fake news, all right? So fake news, right? We're, we're <laughs> fake news. Well, they had some fake news here. They're saying, Paul, you know, this is wrong. Because that wasn't in my notes. I couldn't figure it out. Couldn't pull it. I'm sorry. So fake news, right? Fake news. And that's what they had done with, with Paul. And, and it happened fast. And we're going to see in a moment, it, was, it happened so fast that Paul was surprised how fast it happens. But it doesn't take long to mess up, does it? And sometimes it's, it's things we can control. Sometimes we, it's things we can't control. And, you know, they didn't invite, I'm sure, false teachers come in. They, they just came in. And, and they had a hard time resisting it because they were so convincing. And they seemed to be authoritative. But what they needed to do was examine what Paul had taught and compare it and, and how God's plan had been laid out. So realize that the Christian life is simple, but it's not easy. There's going to be challenges. So the who and the where and, and the when and, and the why. What, what, what's the why? Look at verse 3. Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he starts with the good news, and this is kind of a, a standard, you know, hello, how are you, kind of a greeting, but there's some depth to it as well. But Paul is going to hit them, beginning in verse 6, really strong. 
But really, his, his goal, and if you've ever been corrected by someone or ever you've had the opportunity or the challenge of correcting someone else, if you're correcting someone else, let's put it in that way, usually it's not a pleasant experience for them or for you, right? Because you know you're going to point out something either they weren't aware of or they were aware of but didn't want to deal with, but you felt responsible to point out as best you can for their, hopefully for their good. But sometimes when that happens, the response back is, well, why, why are you hammering me? Why, why are you saying this to me? Why are you just doing it? I mean, don't you really care? And, and so Paul, in the very beginning, says, I, I want you to know I'm writing because I want, I want you to experience God's grace. And I want you to experience God's peace. And I want you to understand where that comes from. It doesn't come from me. It comes from the God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we go through life, and as we think about it, you know, what, what, it's amazing when you look at the, the promises of God's Word. You're, I'm setting you free. And, and well, if I'm, I'm so free, why do I feel so in bondage? Or, or even when we're trying our best, if I'm so free, then why do I struggle with the same sin or the same habit? How come I'm not making progress? You know, I'm still praying that I'd be more um, uh, kind and gentle, okay? My wife's praying that too, okay? So, is, you know, well, how come I'm not a little bit further on, you know, being kinder and gentler? And you, you could describe that in so many other ways. You know, certain habits you have, some things you just, you just fall back into, and he says, I want you to get off this performance, you know, roller coaster. That when you really experience the grace of God, and the grace is charis in the Greek, and it really says, I want you to understand that you have God's favor. And there's nothing you can do to get more of God's favor. If you've come to that place in your life where you've totally given yourself to him, in all humility, in all all openness, saying, God, I can't do it. Only you can do it. And I don't, want, I don't want to be so much searching out for the favor of other people. I want, I want your favor. I want your approval. I want the security that's only found in you. I want to experience an internal power that comes when you fill my life with your presence. And he says, I, 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 I want you to understand as I write you, I want you to experience God's grace. You could say God's goodness, God's help, God's ever-present reality in your life. That's, that's my desire for you. Not, not to, to give you a whole other list of things that other people impose on you that, well, this is how you live it out. I want you to understand you, you only live it out by God's grace. Grace was, was, a, was a favorite truth of the Apostle Paul. He uses grace seven times in this book. And, and in his writings, he uses it a hundred times. And probably the reason he used it so many times is because he wanted them to know it's going to be on the test. <laughs> you know, what's important in, in the Christian life to understand? You need to understand it's, it's about God's grace. But as we think about God's favor and his presence and his help and his 
power and his approval. What, what, what will that result in? And, and, of course, he could have had a long list in his opening words. And obviously, I'm taking longer to explain his opening words than he wrote them. But, you know, grace and peace. He says, I want you to understand arene. It's an interesting word in the Greek. But it, it really has a, I want you to understand that, that the conflict that you're experiencing internally, it's not from God. Because there's two types of peace. There's peace with God and the peace of God. Peace with God, which is really at the heart of the gospel, is, is that we don't have to wonder, is God mad at us anymore? Is God, is God angry at us? Looking at Mossy, and, and I, I remember with Hank when he first came, is that the, the thing often when people come from the Islamic faith, one of the things they realize is, you mean God's not angry at me? That I, I don't have to wonder if, if I'm going to, the next day all of a sudden his, his wrath is going to pour upon me? Because as we understand, when Jesus went to the cross, the wrath of God against sin was poured on Jesus. God's people, not on any merit of their own, don't have to wonder, is God mad at me? Is God angry at me? Because his wrath was poured on Jesus. And that which separates us from God, our sin, has been dealt with, paid in full. He said, I want you to understand that as we, as we plow into what it means to live for Christ is that you have God's grace and you have God's peace. That's peace with God and the peace of God is now as you go through life challenges, I'll be with you. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God. And then he describes it this way, which surpasses all comprehension. You can't even describe that kind of peace. Will guard your minds and your hearts in Christ Jesus. It will give you a subtleness in your, in your soul and your heart, even, even when there is the storm outside. So the who and the where and the, the what and the why. I guess I've only done the why. The why is he wanted to experience grace and peace. What's the what? It, it, it's, it's all about the gospel. It's all about the message. He then goes on and says this in verse 4, who, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. So, so you want to understand, I want you to understand that the, the, the gospel is not what we do, what God has done. You know, if you've ever been in an experience where you're, you're, I don't know, you're in the ocean, you're, maybe you're going on a, on a swim and you get a cramp or whatever it might be and you, you feel the inability to, to keep afloat and you realize no matter what kind of shape you're in, you're in a condition right now that you are incapable of going up one more time and you're just, you're pleading and hoping that someone's going to come by and rescue you because you can't do it on your own. And, and that's what that word means. And it's used in Scripture in a variety of different ways. It, it talks about in Acts chapter 7 that, that when God's people, Israel, you remember the story of Exodus, Charles, Charles and Heston, you know, they're in, the, they're in slavery before the Pharaoh, and they needed to be rescued. They couldn't do it on their own. God needed to rescue them. And that's what the gospel, the gospel is God's rescue plan. He rescues us. He does for us what we can't do for ourselves. And he says he, and when Paul was in, was in prison, in Acts chapter 12, he was in prison. They're praying for Paul to get out of prison, and they're really praying hard because they don't really believe their prayers because when God gets them out of 
prison. They're all surprised that he got out of prison. But, you know, he gets out of prison. What it was, he got rescued out of prison. He got set free. And it wasn't what he did. It's what God did. That's why I want you to understand this is, this is the foundation of what we believe. And he's really talking about what is often in the theme of Galatians. We can't earn it or deserve it. As Dallas Willard says, you know, we, we don't earn it. It doesn't mean we don't give any effort. It doesn't mean we don't, we don't, we're not involved actively in living out our faith, but it's not something we earn. It's something that's given to us. And then because we're, we're fully satisfied in Christ, we want to give everything we have to, to, to get everything we can in our relationship with God and help others to experience it as well, to use whatever gifts and abilities we have to serve Him. And as you look at on stage, there are all kinds of different gifts and abilities. They, they, they didn't let me do anything here. I, I guess I could have crumpled up the paper, all right? But, you know, is that people have gifts and abilities, and God wants us to use them. And, and He changes our want to so that we're all involved in what we ought to. And the gospel is about God's rescue plan. We got another hour here, right? So, no. No, it's... Uh, so, what, what, who's the who? It's the Apostle Paul. Who, what's the where? It's the churches in a particular area, but to multiple groups of people. The when was early, and problems arose quickly. And Jesus is always there for us as we struggle the why that we experience grace and peace, the, uh, grace and peace. The, the what it's it's about the gospel, and then finally the how. What, what's the how of living out being set free? Uh, this is a quick one. Look at verse five. He says, "To whom, referring back to God, to whom be the glory forevermore, Amen." Or as they say in Israel, Amen. Uh, I think it was. Uh, Dan Mayer said, this is not the plane we're taking to Israel, in case some of you are wondering. All right, so, so, and in the midst of this introduction, and it's, a, it's a kind of a uh, picturesque introduction, he says, oh, I want you to understand, in the midst of all I'm going to say to you, this is not for my sake and even for your sake, it's really for the glory of God. When we live out what God wants us to live, when we experience fully what God wants us to have, it brings him glory. Not an ego egotistical way, but what it does is displays the beauty of who he is and the plan that he has for our life, and he gets the glory. He said, I'm writing this not to prove that I'm right and you're wrong and all the people who are teaching you are wrong. I'm doing this because I want you to experience, and I want God to get the glory because you are a, you are a, you are a picture of what God's plan is all about. And I want that to be manifested. That's what glory means, to manifest the attributes and character of who God is. He's loving. He's forgiving. He's powerful. He's life-changing. And, and when you experience the truth about that and are set free, he gets the glory, not just now, but forever. And so as we embark on this, on this journey to, to be what God wants us to be, free people that live out faithfully his plan for our life it's it's all about what he does in our lives as we live passionately for him and and we are to do that individually and collectively as god's people set free to be free for his glory not our own as we think about that it all all begins at the beginning doesn't it and the the question i'm not going through the verses the key passage in galatians 
I guess the so what is a, is, is a simple question. Have you been set free? Have you been rescued? Have you, have you made that first step to be in God's plan? And if you have, are you, are you faithfully just relying upon him to live out what he's put in? You know, the message of Christ is, is straightforward. There is a true God that loves you. And in the midst of what separates us from him, which is our sin, the things that we have done that are wrong, God has a plan. And that plan is I'm going to eliminate that challenge between and that that separation between us, which is our sin, which is your sin, by having Jesus die in our place to take on the penalty and just and the wrath of God when he died on the cross and rose from the dead. And then I'm going to give you an opportunity to get in on that plan. And it's as simple as the ABCs, but it's not, it's not, it's simple, but it's not easy. You've got to admit that you have sinned and are separated from God, and you want to turn from that. You've got to be, believe that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for your sin fully and completely. You don't need to add anything to it. And then make that choice and that commitment to follow and believe fully in Jesus as your Lord, as your leader, as your God, as your Savior, the forgiver of your sins. If you've never made that step, make that today because that's the most important commitment and choice you'll ever make. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that the, the message of, of Jesus sets us free to be not what we want to be, but to be what we were created to be. And Father, I thank you that the message is clear and straightforward. And Father, if there's anyone here this morning that hasn't made that step, I just, I just plead for their heart to be open to what God is drawing themselves to, to put their trust and reliance upon Jesus as their Lord, their Savior, and their God. Might people surrender to Jesus today and this week to the good and only plan that brings us into a right relationship with God to experience His grace and peace. And we praise in Jesus' name. Amen.